E-commerce isn't just an aspect of growing a successful wine business, it is crucial. And that's why I strongly recommend working with Offset Partners. As a proudly independent e-commerce technology and brand design company based in wine country, Offset understands the operational nuances and the customer service imperatives that distinguish a great online buying experience from a mediocre one. And that's why leading and legendary brands like Saxum, Arnott Roberts, and Kermit Lynch Wine Merchant choose Offset's proprietary commerce technology platform to power their DTC sales. If you're an allocated winery or a high-touch merchant that values an elegant, effective commerce solution for both you, your customers, and your team, reach out to the smart team at offsetpartners.com. That's O-F-F-S-E-T, partners with an S, dot com, to craft a better direct-to-consumer experience. I'll drink to that, where we get behind the scenes of the beverage business. I'm Levy Dalton. I'm Erin Scala. And here's our show today. Tasting the Pelaverga grape variety can help broaden a general approach to wine in the Piedmonte. Though Pelaverga has been grown in the region for centuries and was even a popular table grape, its popularity dropped after the World Wars, and in the mid-1990s, it was sometimes even given away as gifts between winemakers and their friends. Today, it enjoys a local Piedmonte popularity, particularly in Verduno, and growing interest in the global marketplace. Compared with some of its more widely planted counterparts, Pella Verga stands out in color, flavor, and structure. The wines are ever so lightly red-colored, usually with a touch of purple hue. The hue is often translucent, to the point where, on color alone, it could even be mistaken for a deep rosé. The light, prancing Pella Verga can be blended and buttressed with the more powerful Nebbiolo. In several wine regions, you'll find lighter grapes and heavier grape varieties that coexist in such a unique relationship, like the light and delicate pulsards of Jura and the more powerful Trousseau, like Pinot Noir and Gamay in red burgundy blends, and like Grenache and Syrah. In all these regions and with all these grapes, at times they're made separately and at times they're blended together to get the best out of both. Pelaberga can have an inverse relationship with Nebbiolo in the vineyards as well. It's ideal in cooler sites where it can retain acid and have a better chance of getting harvested during its very short harvest window. This is important because it's a grape that can become overripe in an instant. Increasingly so, Pelaverga is coming to the market on its own, without being blended, as more producers place a heavier value on its cultural importance, and as more people develop an affinity for the grape variety. Stylistically, it's usually made into a light red for early consumption, but several producers are experimenting with lightly sparkling versions, and even white versions. And just about every source or mention of Pelaverga waxes poetically about its aroma. Some focus on bright wild berries, wild strawberries, others a rose-like perfume, but almost all descriptions of Pelaverga mention an enchanting, delightful aroma. A few producers really stand out for their high-quality Pelaverga bottlings. Keep listening to learn more about one of them.
I talk to winemakers all the time. And something they tell me is that oxygen management is a key to aging wine. Finding the right balance is crucial. And that's why I recommend DM's revolutionary cork closures. With DM corks, winemakers can achieve precisely controlled oxygen management after a bottle leaves the winery, ensuring a wine that matures gracefully and reaches its full potential. With over 2 billion DM corks sold each year, it's clear that winemakers worldwide trust DM for consistent results. And DM has recently expanded the permeability options for their popular DM10 and DM30 closures, providing winemakers with even more flexibility to choose a cork that will guarantee the kind of wine life they envision. Banish surprise dud bottles and embrace DM closures. Your customers will thank you. In North America, DM products are exclusively distributed by G3 Enterprises. Ready to ensure the lifespan of your wines? Go to dm-closures.com forward slash I-D-T-T to learn more. That's D-I-A-M-closures with an S dot com forward slash I-D-T-T for more information. Mario Andrian of Castello di Verduno and Quattro Nove Nove on the show today. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. So you work at Castello di Verduno today, but you were born in Turin. Yes, yes. Uh, and uh, actually, uh, yes, I'm, my family has no, no connection into, into the wine, into the vineyards. Was that your first job in the business? or did Yes, you? yes. It was the first one. I, I still remember the first day. And uh, thanks to a friend, I... Uh, that he told me, ah, oh, look, uh, there is uh, in Castel Verduno. I know that uh, they are looking for someone helping just for bottling. So I went there and uh, I passed all uh, the day putting empty bottles uh, on the bottling machine, you know, uh, because empty bottles, uh, you know, less responsibility, less, uh, you know, just... Uh, if you uh, drop it, it's okay. Yeah, in fact. <laughs> uh, but at the end of uh, the day, Franco said to me, uh, Mario, I, I like the way you work. And I looked at him and said, uh, thank you, Franco, but, uh, you know, I put an empty bottle all day long. And uh, so I appreciate that uh, you notice something, but, uh, you know, and uh, I said, but, mm, you know, I, I see a lot of uh, people working during my life. And I, I don't know, he, he, he saw something in me. And so if I say, look, in uh, two weeks, I have another bottling. If you come, um, I would be happy. So I went back uh, for the second bottling and the third one. Uh, and uh, so I did all the bottling. And uh, uh, after uh, just a while, I said, look, um, I, I need also someone helping me in the vineyards. So I started working in the vineyards, uh, you know, green harvest, uh, everything. Uh, and, uh, and it was the 2000. So 2000 also was uh, the year in which... Uh, I did the first uh, harvest with uh, Castello di Verduno. What was the 2000 harvest like? Uh, 2000 harvest uh, after the 1997 was the first very uh, hot season. Now that I've uh, no, the, the 16, 17 years of experience, uh, 
I can understand. Now I can think back about that. Uh, at the time, I, I didn't realize what's was going on. But now I can tell that definitely was the time in which uh, I think it was important to change also the approach in the vineyards because... Um, and I'm st- I'm doing now, but uh, if I would uh, have the knowledge and experience, I would change uh, even uh, before. So now I'm not so crazy in uh, doing a uh, green harvest. I'm not so crazy in concentrate because we have uh, right now a natural concentration thanks uh, to this very hot, uh, sunny and dry summer. And since I love uh, the elegances in the wine, I love the acidity, I and I, I think that I need the acidity in the wine, we are very careful in uh, doing the green harvest. We are very careful in uh, the leaves, uh, so we maintain all of them in front of the cluster to uh, preserve uh, them from the sun burning. So I think that definitely 2000 make the turn of uh, the old climate uh, to the new one. And it's also kind of coincides with when Verduno started to get more and more acclaim on the, at least in the U.S. market, I feel like. Yes, I think that uh, actually came up just a, b- a bit later because uh, Verduno started to be well uh, known uh, to me, especially because uh, uh, there are, you know, Verduno is small, we are very few wineries, uh, we are like uh, 11 wineries, but only, you can say, three, four, enough big, that big, uh, 70, 100,000 uh, bottles. So, we can say we have enough production to go abroad and sell uh, in the States and also all the other parts of the world. But there is something interesting that is the reason why the Barolo from Verduno, but uh, in consequence also uh, the Pelaverga grape and the Verduno appellation getting popular and popular because uh, the most important uh, wineries, uh, so Castello Verduno, Fratelli Alessandra, Commentatore G.B. Burlotto, if you notice, we are uh, the, the same uh, age. So, 1976, I was born. Uh, uh, Vittorio Alessandria, 1976 as well. Uh, Fabio, I think it's uh, maybe uh, just a bit older, but uh, so was the generation which uh, we have uh, the energy and we want absolutely to go around and to show the, what we were doing, and we had the possibility to do it. And uh, producing, I think that, that the the Barolo the in Verduno always has been very good. In fact, the very old people in the Langa used to make a, a connection between the elegances of the Monviliero in particular with the Cannubi. But the fact that the Monviliero is very small and there are few, few producers, and so you know, to the promotion it's much more difficult. Uh, but going around, uh, Fabio, Vittore, me, also Belcolle, it's another winery that exports Monbigliero. No, people start tasting and say, ah, oh, look, this Monbigliero is not bad. But where is Ah, Verduno. In Verduno, there are also other vineyards. And uh, the, uh, also the taste was changed because uh, you know there is uh, during those years from the 2000 till now also you know the modern uh, and the traditional you know was something old uh, that uh, i think now there is anymore this uh, uh, sort of uh, um, traditional versus uh, modern no i think now who use uh, the barrique uh, now is very knowledgeable in using it and so you have any more over rocked barolo the traditional they learn that they need to change a bit 
more often <laughs> the, the big barrels. So the tasting, uh, it changed. And now people is uh, also more looking for, instead of big, full body wines, uh, the expression of elegances, the expression of uh, a bit more uh, fine tannins. Uh, it's uh, on trend right now. And the Verduno definitely can show this kind of Barolo. Because Verduno, we have a limestone soil, like almost uh, no, the, the Barolo area. But in a sort of way, I think thanks to a, a lower concentration of calcium, the expression of uh, the polyphenols, the tannins in the wine, is more soft. So generally speaking, we can say that uh, the Barolo Verduno are more elegant. That the longevity, because uh, no, we still uh, are uh, tasting some uh, 1976 I tested recently. So the longevity of the uh, Barolo from Verduno, it's very long, but maybe more connected with the acidity than uh, to the tannins. And those kind of quality wines, uh, I think that uh, is getting popular and popular because it's a taste that it's really appreciated, not only in, uh, in the States. You mentioned Monvigliero, and that's a vineyard that you work with in Verduno at Castel di Verduno, amongst others. And what kind of separates that vineyard apart from some of the others in Verduno? Monvigliero is uh, really unique because it's an amphitheater facing south. And uh, the vineyards is very steep. So does it mean that uh, the soil is poor? The vines, they have high stress. So it's a natural concentration in the berries and uh, a good structure in, into the wine. Moreover, Monvigliero, it's uh, at, the, at a high elevation, so we are speaking about 300 meters high. So that's allowed uh, a very good excursion of temperature, especially you know, during the last uh, ripening of the Nebbiolo. So it's a perfect combination between uh, a lot of uh, fresh flavors, intensity of the berries uh, so that's allowed uh, a good full body wines and uh, always verduno shows this uh, bit of particular is uh, concentration of spiciness that uh, make it uh, unique and uh, what is also very interesting uh, about the Montvillero is that uh, we are at the northern part of the appellation so this hill uh, facing uh, south you have uh, a street uh, at the top of the hill change the slope on the north part and there is not uh, any more Barolo. So you can plant a Nebbiolo but you have not any more Barolo. After there is the valley, Tanaro River and the Roero starts. So it's really at the edge of things and that river kind of cools things down. A yeah, bit. that also in a sort of way changed the microclimate. In fact, uh, it's uh, one of the first uh, village, uh, one of the first villages uh, where uh, the Nebbiolo ripe. Montvillier especially, it it has a unique own amphitheater. But also all the portion of Verduno where you can make Barolo, it's very protected. It's a, a sort of another bigger amphitheater than Monvigliero, where Monvigliero is in, it's in the central. And that's one of the reasons why the average temperature is uh, um, a bit higher. And also because it's very, very unusual to have ale. In fact, in the recent, uh, so I'm touching wood uh, <laughs> saying this, <laughs> but uh, it's true that uh, also in the recent uh, vintages where um, a lot of uh, other villages in, uh, in, in Parolo, they had uh, very, uh, a lot of damaging by the ale. 
Verduno is protected. If I, if I arrive, I arrive very, very thin piece of uh, hail that uh, at the memory, even not mind that it's quite recent, but even of uh, the Burlotto family, they cannot recall a, a, a disaster made by, by the hail. That's interesting because hail affects Lamora often, and yes. you're next to Lamora, yes. and yet it's not affecting you. No, but Lamora, it's more exposed. Because it's usually the more that gets hit the worst, right? Like yeah. usually the hail comes yeah, through. Yeah, La Mora and also some portion of uh, Monforte. Often uh, because sometimes I arrive uh, from uh, Dogliani, so from the Alps. Uh, but yes, fortunately, we are lucky. So Monvigliero, an amphitheater, and it's above the road. And then below the road is Massara. Yeah. And you also make wine from Massara. And what's Massara like? Even they are very close because uh, you know, by air there are uh, 300 meters, maybe less. So very close. But Masara is uh, facing, first of all, uh, southeast. So receives sun, but uh, especially during the morning when uh, the temperatures are not uh, so um, hot. So this uh, is very good for the Masara in the very hot season because uh, naturally you yeah, had a lot of sun, but during the morning, so the vines uh, work thanks to the sun, because the temperature is not uh, too high. And when it's getting uh, very, uh, the hottest part of the day, doesn't affect too much because uh, it receives the sun, but uh, from a different angulation. So it's very difficult to have uh, sun burning. It's very difficult uh, to have uh, over-ripening grapes and uh, over-ripe jammy flavors in the, in the wine. We maintain a lot of freshness. A lot of freshness also because um, the vineyards is uh, almost at the bottom of the hill. So uh, before I was talking about uh, the erosion uh, no, and uh, the very poor uh, soil of the Monvigliero, opposite is the Massara because the erosion from the top grows uh, more deeper soil uh, in the Massara so the, the roots can go deeper inside. The, we difficult to have a very a lot of hydro stress, uh, so that uh, is the reason why in the very hot season the Masara shows uh, very well. And when you make wine from those grapes, I mean, what manifests itself in the making? Actually, the, my approach and the way making between Barolo, Massara, and the, and the Mobiliero um, is not very big because uh, I, I work uh, for both of them using the Tino, that are the open-top wooden barrel, traditional in, uh, in Piedmont, in the Lange, to vinify the Nebbiolo. And actually, I'm still using uh, a very old technique that is submerged cup. Actually, I do uh, the first uh, days uh, of the fermentation when uh, the yeast, uh, no, first of all, needs uh, oxygen. And uh, when uh, the fruits are still very fresh and the skin are uh, uh, not ready to match uh, uh, use uh, by the extraction from the juice, I, I do punching down. Punching down in that moment when I have almost no alcohol, a few alcohol, because of the alcohol that I extract, especially uh, the, the tannins. So I do a lot of punching down to allow the, to have, at the time, uh, a lot of uh, color and flavors. After, I do the submerged cup technique. So stainless steel grill, I push down the pomice, I put a cap on, and I continue in a static way, static maturation. The goal is to have a very long contact skin to extract the maximum color, flavors, uh, and also tannins, but in a very delicate way. Because uh, for the 
traditionally okay but i don't want to have uh, very tough uh, and uh, strong tannins because uh, my goal is uh, to show very elegant wines but never too much aggressive and the longevity is uh, like uh, uh, i said before the is more connected to the acidity i always pick the grapes looking more uh, at the pH than sugar content. So the average uh, contact skin is uh, between 40-45 days. That's no. pretty long. I mean, yeah. relatively in yeah. the region. Yeah. You know, there are some vintages like 2014. I did uh, 20 days because, uh, yeah. But generally, if uh, the vintages is good, like 2015, that for me is uh, uh, definitely for me is the best vintage that I ever made. Oh, better but than 10, yeah? Definitely. To wow. me, yes, it's uh, it's amazing. Uh, so that uh, allowed me to do 40, 45, uh, maybe on the, um, was on the Montvillier, I did 50. To, I have not a recipe, so I test the wine, I see how it is, uh, flavors, uh, extraction. So I rack off only when uh, I feel uh, that the ore is getting too tannic or because uh, I'm st- starting to have some uh, reductive flavors that... Uh, no, it's, uh, it's better to rack off and give it back, uh, again, oxygen. So that means you prefer a long time on the leaves, then? Yes, I, uh, because uh, I, I think that uh, the long contact skin allowed to extract some compounds that uh, if you do short uh, time with a lot of movement, uh, it's a different kind of reaction uh, and uh, you have a different kind of tannins. So the Monvigliero and Masara, the fermentation are the same, but the the bottle and barrel aging are different because with the Monvigliero, the Monvigliero needs more time to smooth its character because uh, it is uh, more complex and uh, it needs more time to have a, a good balance between the body of uh, of the wine with the tannin, so it needs uh, more time to integrate the tannin on it, and this is due, like I said, for the the, the hydro stress uh, for the this uh, very steep hill, and uh, and the fact that, that that the grapes are more concentrated. The Masara uh, shows always a more bigger from palate, but uh, doesn't have the as uh, the intensity and the complexity of the Monbiliero. And uh, I do like uh, two years of barrel aging. Then the, the Masara, uh, it has the, the front palate that uh, is uh, also bigger uh, than the Monbiliero. But the uh, Monbiliero wins for uh, complexity. Elegance is uh, the, it always shows some minerality, shows uh, the spiciness that it characterizes really uh, this uh, vineyard. Why do you think that the old-timers compared Canubi to Monvigliero? I mean, what were similar about those two crews? The elegance, so never you found a full body and big structure of Barolo, but uh, all of them are playing more in the, the length and long finish of the wine. So in a sort of very balanced taste that from the front palate to the, the end, it's with the same intensity. Is not uh, like uh, some other Barolo that maybe you have uh, no, a beginning uh, from a big intensity and after a bit uh, losing. Uh, so this uh, very gentle, uh, also the gentle, more gentle tannins uh, and the elegance uh, is uh, what uh, connect the two, the two vineyards. 
So that's interesting that Monvigliero is the longer lived vineyard of Verduno, but it's also the more gentle tannins. And I guess that plays into that comment that you made that you think that ageability is based on the acid. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And uh, that's uh, like it's a 300 meters high. That's allowed uh, the kind of soil uh, allowed also that. Uh, and uh, also my winemaking is uh, definitely goes in the direction. So you're using teeny, which are open top wood to ferment, and then you age in large wood. Yeah, we have only a big uh, Slavonian oak. We have uh, only one cooper that we trust. So we are working more than 35 years uh, uh, with him, with him, uh, we have uh, um, a great relation. He knows uh, our wines. He knows uh, how we like uh, to produce them. And uh, happens uh, two years ago that um, actually I have ninety nine point nine Stockinger, and uh, but I bought uh, a, a barrel from a, a, a different uh, cooper uh, two years ago. Uh, that I tested several wines of a friend of mine that they were working well with him. He is from Switzerland. Uh, he has uh, um, oak from Schaffhausen. That it's a portion of area between uh, Switzerland and Germany. And I said, well, no, I, you know, I, I want to try. I want to see what's... Uh, because I, I don't think that there is only one that make a good bar. So I tried. I bought. I put uh, the same wine at the same times. Uh, one in uh, the, this new barrel from uh, the uh, Switzerland uh, Cooper. And uh, um, and the other wine in the a new barrel from Stockinger. And uh, after uh, five months, tasted and the one from Switzerland was a great wine, very great, with a very fruity wines, very well balanced with a good intensity of oak. Stockinger was a great wine, full of fruits, full of uh, only Nebbiolo taste. The oak almost was, was very difficult to detect. That's the reason I like to work with Stockinger. So I need the oak to uh, have the oxygen that pass through to allow the, the polymerization of the tannin, so, so make it uh, the wine more approachable. But absolutely, the goal is that it doesn't influence uh, the wonderful spectrum of flavors uh, of the Nebbiolo. Sometimes it seems like the wines are a little fresher. Have you moved the bottling a little earlier for the Barolo? No, no, no. I only pick uh, when uh, the acidity is not too low. It's only uh, a factor that uh, I don't care anymore you know, it's a totally different mind. In the like, uh, Franco is cool. Was uh, to wait uh, one uh, day, two days uh, to have a bit more of uh, sugar content. Now, global warming, totally. The, the approach is uh, to don't lose uh, the acidity. So I check uh, the pH. I don't check anymore the the sugar content. I don't care. I care to have a proper ripening of uh, the polyphenol side, so seeds uh, and uh, and skin, but uh, I always check what is going on with uh, the acidity. If I lose acidity, I lose uh, freshness in the flavors, I lose uh, brilliant color, and I lose uh, long, tasty wine. And you also make some other wine from Verduno that's sort of a specialty of Verduno in terms of the Pelaverga grape variety. Yeah, Pella Verga, it's uh, something that uh, gives a lot of uh, emotion and uh, satisfaction. Satisfaction uh, because uh, only 
10 years ago, 15 years ago, was really unknown. It was just a small sales in a, in Piedmont, Lange, maybe Torino, and very few around. But like we started not to go around promoting the Barolo from Verduno, we started also to go around saying, oh, look, in our village, in our little tiny village, because we are speaking about a village of 500 people and uh, with a surface planted at Pelaverga right now, less than 30 hectares. So very, very small. We are speaking about a wine produced by only 11 producers. And we are speaking about a wine that uh, 80% of the production is produced by four wineries. Seeing that now people, you go around uh, the world and people knows about those grapes, uh, knows about this wine, and uh, actually they are looking for it and they say, ah, yes, when is uh, released the new vintages because I have not uh, anymore the, the other one. It's something that uh, make it uh, a very, very big emotion. And uh, the reason why we had this very good, amazing success is uh, because... There's a very good drinkability and uh, the silky tannins, velvety tannins, uh, good acidity, but at the end it has a very long finish. So in a sort of way, it's an easy wine, but uh, it's a very long taste. The peppery nose that characterize the wine, the fact that you can match with many different food because it's very versatile. So do you think that the reception for a grape variety like Pelaverga is more with the domestic Italian audience or more on the export markets? Both. I can say both. Because uh, in Italy as well, uh, we are very good demand and uh, and abroad as well. So the only problem is that we have not enough wine <laughs> to, to supply. So what's Pelaverga like comparing to other grape varieties like Nebbiolo or Barbera? I mean, how is it different? Um, someone uh, compared to Gamay, someone else uh, to Grignolino, someone else uh, to Schiava. But what uh, I can tell uh, in a scientific way is uh, because uh, uh, thanks uh, to the University of uh, Torino, we make a uh, research on the DNA of the Pelaverga, seeing if there was any connection between some Italian or uh, French variety. What I can tell is uh, that uh, Pelaverga is his own DNA. Whether any connection with any other grapes, there are uh, documents speaking about Pelaverga already in the 16th century in Verduno. And uh, so it's uh, a unique grape that uh, is always grown only in uh, Verduno. There is uh, another grape uh, in, uh, in Piemonte called Pelaverga. Uh, so one of the reasons why we made the research was uh, to have a scientific uh, studies uh, telling uh, there were two different grapes because also looking at the vine, at the grapes, at the berries, and also uh, tasting the wine, say, oh, there is only the name in similar because uh, nothing else they have in common. Uh, at the end of the, the studies, uh, we said that uh, the Pelaverga from Verduno is uh, the Pelaverga Piccolo. Pelaverga Piccolo because uh, it has uh, smaller berries. And there's also meaning you know, a better attitude at the vinification. While uh, um, in the Saluzese, so close to, to the, the Alps in uh, Piedmont, they have this Pelaverga that uh, they call it uh, Pelaverga di Pagno. 
Pelleverga is a great variety from Verduno, it's really, that's the only place that it is. And so why do you think that that is? Like, why do you think that that Pelleverga that's grown in Verduno today, it's not found anywhere else? The reason why is because uh, the history of the grapes, it's very long. Like I said, uh, no centuries. But the history of the wine is very recent. It was only at the end of the 60s, beginning of the 70s, that uh, we start making the wine. So in Verduno, everyone uh, used to have uh, some vines of Pelaverga in the middle of uh, vineyards of uh, Nebbiolo, Barbera, or Dolcetto, and they used to vine fire together. Or uh, they used to have in the garden, because it's also a very good uh, grapes uh, to eat, uh, like uh, no, fruits. Gabriella Burlotto from Castel Verduno, she was the first one to vinify Pelaverga by its own making like a two damigiana, so 100 liters. And she realized that uh, it was good. So the year after, he made it a bit more. And uh, in the, we, uh, Castel Verduno, uh, G- uh, Gabriela, she planted the first vineyards planted uh, only at uh, Pelaverga grapes at the beginning of the 1970s, bringing uh, shoots of the vines to plant from uh, three vines that uh, she had in the castle garden. So that one is the older one. And uh, from the time, uh, no, other producers, they started to plant uh, other vineyards. Making the wine, we start uh, not to have uh, like a Pella Verga vino da tavola. And uh, getting uh, more quantities, more producer producing the wine, uh, we finally got uh, the appellation Verduno or Verduno Pelaverga in 1994. If you can eat Pelaverga as a table grape, and that's delightful, does that imply that the sugars are fairly high in the Pelaverga grape? Yeah, in the ripening, choosing the picking date, you have to be very careful because uh, what's happening is that the sugar content in one week can go extremely high. In fact, when I have to choose uh, the picking date, I'm really checking it out carefully because i don't want too much uh, alcohol on it it's a wine that to me when it has a 13 13.5 uh, it's enough but uh, uh, happens uh, that uh, i see that uh, no i checked uh, no one week uh, the, the sugar and uh, was uh, maybe no not enough like uh, no uh, 12 potential alcohol and one week later because maybe we said oh, okay uh, have to do different uh, things uh, and in one week uh, what can happen check it again and was uh, 14.5 so right now uh, i i know that i have to be very very uh, when it's almost ready i check almost every day you actually make Pelaverga a couple different ways you make it as a still red wine you make it as a sparkling wine and then you also make it as a white wine and so when you handle the same grape variety in those different manners what do you end up learning about it the beginning was uh, was not easy it was not easy because uh, you started to make a wine without uh, any experience uh, uh, we are making a wine uh, without any history, uh, and even you know Pinot Noir. Uh, they, they, you know, there are I don't know how many that they produce blind Noir from uh, Pinot Noir, but the grapes is different. In fact, the first uh, vintage that I made, uh, 2006, 
I approach the vinification almost similarly as other winemakers do with Pinot Noir. Because no, I, I start asking to say a friend of mine, okay, so what do you suggest? And everybody said, no, you need to find with charcoal because uh, you know even uh, uh, no, you press soft, uh, you could. Uh, Maybe not uh, uh, at the beginning, but uh, maybe later during the vinification or bottle aging, uh, if you extract a bit of uh, antochan or polyphenols with the oxidation, you can have just a, a tiny bit turning of on uh, on a uh, like onion color. So you have to avoid uh, that uh, doing this uh, fining. So I said, okay, you know, is uh, my my way making is uh, less uh, manipulation than possible, so I don't. I don't like finding, I don't like, I, I really love to work uh, in the vineyards, uh, having clear in my mind uh, the wine that I want to make. But I said, okay, I tried, I, this, uh, I did uh, this uh, finding with charcoal, and the final result, I was not, I was not really sat satisfied because uh, I lose a lot of uh, flavors, uh, the color was almost uh, watering, not satisfied. Uh, year after, half of uh, the, the, the suggested uh, uh, quantity, not satisfied. Third year, I say, okay, I try in my way, uh, and uh, and I see if it doesn't work. Okay, I stop. I, I don't make it anymore. So my way that now, you no know, year after year, I I started to make is uh, to make a very soft press. And uh, it took me three hours and a half to have, uh, if I'm lucky, 500 liters. So when I do uh, this kind of uh, wine, it took me right now two days. So what do I do? We harvest in a small uh, uh, red bucket of uh, 20 kilos. And I put uh, them in a refrigerator. So they are stopped there. So I can uh, bring the time set times uh, no, in a continuous uh, way uh, the grapes uh, and pressing and uh, uh, I check uh, always uh, at, the, at the bottom of the press uh, the color and as soon as I see that it's starting turning pink change the tank so the free run juice uh, is uh, the wine that at the end you have in the bottles not fine this is the color of uh, the juice of uh, Pelaberga and uh, I can do that because Bella Verga is different than Pinot Noir. The skin is different. It's more thick. And so allowed me to, to do that. So now we have a vineyard that is, uh, is planted to make uh, the sparkling and the white. Because, like I said, I need a vineyard to achieve the goal, a logical goal to make uh, those. So I need the acidity. I don't need color. I absolutely, in a sort of way, in the vine growing, I, I, I almost forgot these vineyards because I don't do anything out. I leave a lot of leaf uh, because uh, the goal is to slow down the ripening. That's uh, that's a goal. With uh, the sparkling is uh, another history because, uh, you know, the knowledge on making uh, no champenoise's uh, method or classic or no methods it's uh, very well uh, known and we have a lot of uh, knowledge on uh, making sparkling but making sparkling with, with uh, Pelaverga uh, like uh, also that one is different 
uh, and it took me more time to understand better how to do it. Now with, uh, we are selling the 2012 uh, vintage uh, and uh, with uh, that one I'm, I'm very satisfied. The grape La Verga is very versatile in making in uh, many different uh, ways. We try once uh, also to make a, a late harvest, uh, like a sort of pasito. Actually, thanks to those uh, thick skin, you can have a very good product, but we just stop. Uh, we, we tried, it uh, was good, uh, but at the moment uh, we have too many things going on that uh, maybe will be a, a future project. So what does Pelaverga express as a white wine that it might not express as a red? As you, as you know, in the skin you have the flavors beside the color so in the in the white you don't have the spiciness that you can have in in the red but there is i don't know what but there is something in the pulp that allowed in during the fermentation to have some very interesting mineral flavors very well balanced with flowers so that's make it very unique moreover i very love the crisp acidity in the white wine and uh, in a sort of way, working with an unripe grapes, uh, you have uh, a very good acidity. And uh, with this acidity, they, they clean up uh, very pleasantly your, uh, your mouth. What's interesting about Castello di Verduno is that they also have Barbaresco crews. And that's because the family got married and one side of the family brought the Verduno side and one side brought the Barbaresco side, right? Yeah, that's right. And... Uh, and it's great also thinking about, uh, and it's funny, uh, thinking about the area of uh, the vineyards that they own, because uh, we spoke before about uh, no, the, the elegances, expression, and delicate tannins of uh, the Barolo making in Verduno. So we can say the, the, the feminine part of the, the Barolo area, while uh, in, uh, in Barbaresco I'm working with uh, Rabaya, that is one of the most masculine Barbaresco, because uh, with uh, the Rabaya we can really show a Barbaresco uh, with uh, all uh, the characteristics of uh, softness of Barbaresco, but compare with uh, no, the other Barbaresco of uh, the other area, we definitely have uh, one uh, barbaresco with shoulder, with a very potential aging, with uh, uh, a lot of intensity. And that's uh, because uh, the Rabayan is a vineyard that is a perfect exposition southwest, so we receive a lot of sun, especially the warmest one of the sunset. In fact, in Rabayan, the way in which we work in the vineyards is uh, changed a lot in those years because uh, we have absolutely to avoid uh, uh, over-ripening, we have to avoid uh, the sun burning. So it's uh, a vineyard where our uh, vine-growing approach changed mostly. So someone is still speaking about uh, low crop concentrate to have a uh, you know, few kilos for vines. To me, speaking about Rabaya, no. Because uh, my goal is to have a uh, balanced wine. And to have a balanced wine, you need uh, a balance uh, in the vine. So also in the green harvest approach is, uh, is uh, very different. So we do just a, a small one at the beginning of the horizon because it's in that moment that, uh, first of all, uh, you still can uh, touch with the hand uh, the, the grapes because uh, the pruina, the prune is not already formed. So because when you have Pruin on the skin that uh, it's protected from the water from the humidity so against mold so it's very good don't touch uh, when 
it's in this uh, phenolic phase uh, the the grace but before yes so it's a good time uh, at the beginning of the horizon first of all to touch the the grapes and put them one far to the other so they can be hanged uh, well down be sure that the air can pass through and definitely if you have a vines that you see that it has a lot of uh, cluster yes you can uh, maybe at the end of the shoots uh, you, you can cut it and after you see, we see how the season go but having a lot of crop uh, if the season is very hot you can maintain uh, no the acidity and uh, uh, what's happen after that uh, usually you know in uh, in august uh, africa august and you still have at least one month of uh, natural ripening but uh, the temperature go down is uh, is uh, the time in which uh, you see okay now maybe i uh, i concentrate i i cut more cluster or say no maybe i live in that way because uh, we have a natural concentration of the berries you have sort of separated different parts of rabaya over time to give different qualities and you've bottled them differently yeah, we have actually the, the portion of Rabaya, yeah, it's uh, all uh, are different parcel, but only in one uh, spot, no? only one uh, piece. And uh, it's uh, more than one hectare, so it's a good average. That's definitely allowed me to choose uh, the best portion to make the reserve. So the reserve is not because it's the same wine that I aged longer, but the reserve to me born in the vineyards. Uh, in the picking, I say, okay, I pick uh, this uh, to make uh, the reserve. Usually, I, I do a longer uh, barrel aging, but it depends uh, from uh, actually from the vintage because sometimes uh, uh, it doesn't need uh, no uh, in the warmest season that, uh, that where the tannins are already quite approachable and smooth. I prefer to do uh, the bottle aging. And why do you think Rabaya is so powerful? Is it exposure? Is it soil? Is it both of mm. those things? Yeah, the, it's uh, definitely with, with the exposition and the effect of the exposition that uh, give uh, uh, always a perfect ripening. Also, Rabaya is very steep, so the hydrostress stress that concentrates the grapes. And uh, it's a very white soil. So now we have the knowledge that uh, we speak about limestone and calcium and clay, but I remember the first time that I went there with uh, Franco, he showed me the, um, the the color of the vineyard. See, you see, this is white soil, and usually more white it is, more calcium you have, and more power you have in the wines. More stricture, kind of more backbone, and you actually in the Barbaresco zone have some dolcetto as well, which is somewhat unusual. To have uh, dolcetto is not so unusual. It's unusual to have dolcetto where we have. Because we have in, uh, in the vineyards uh, Ronchi, where all the other producers, uh, they have Nebbiolo, and they make a great Nebbiolo Barbaresco. But we have uh, these uh, very old vineyards. Uh, uh, the oldest part is uh, more than 35 years old. And the wine, uh, we call it Campote because uh, actually the vineyards, the h- highest part uh, of, uh, of the vineyards. And I have to work uh, really carefully knowing the vineyards uh, to don't extra too much uh, because it uh, can uh, have a lot of tannins. It can be a very 
even a long potential aging dolcetto but since uh, i love the dolcetto drinkable uh, fruity i also there uh, i don't want to have too much uh, green harvest i don't want to concentrate too much the crop because i want to save the freshness and the city interestingly you actually make some other grape varieties under your own label that you started yeah 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 there's a great challenge that started in uh, 2012 with a friend of mine we just for fun we we vinify a bit of phrase uh, because uh, my my friend uh, the family they have uh, estate vineyards for a generation but uh, they always been a vine grower and they used to sell the grapes uh, so once I said, ah, okay, but uh, you have a phrase, uh, since I'm very curious to, to try to vinify different kind of uh, grapes, I said, uh, could you please uh, bring uh, some, uh, some grapes to me that uh, no, I, I want to see? So in the 2011, uh, we, we make it. Actually, at the time, uh, no, we are friends, but at the time we were working together at uh, Castello Verduno. Uh, so we vinified and uh, we were impressed about uh, how it was good. So we said, but no, we we don't we, we try no to 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 make our own label, and uh, it was great also because the historically the cultivated grapes in Camo. So we are speaking about the, in uh, Camo is a very small village in the Lange area uh, at the highest elevation of the Lange. Historically, the the grapes cultivated there uh, they were uh, Moscato and Fraser. And uh, so we started this uh, challenge that is a challenge because it's not easy to speak about and to sell Fraser right now because it's a historical uh, grapes in, in Edmond in general, but in Lange, in the past, uh, everyone used to have uh, a bit of Fraser in the land that they own. But uh, in the Lange of Barolo Barbaresco, people start uh, you know, speaking about the business uh, you know, to, to plant uh, Nebbiolo uh, instead of uh, the Fraser because uh, no, it was much more convenient. While in the Lange of Camo, where uh, the Moscato is the main uh, grapes, they prefer to plant uh, Fraser. So the Fraser was almost forgotten. Moreover, it's very difficult because uh, there is not uh, a only way to vinify because you can uh, find it sparkling, you can find sometimes even a bit sweet, some others with steel and dry and aged in oak or only stainless steel. So that, uh, in a sort of way, make it confusion. And uh, the reason why you have all these different kind of uh, vinification is because uh, Fraser, due to the fact that it's, uh, uh, speaking about the grapes, it's very strong and healthy and uh, it's difficult that uh, the rot affect uh, the grapes. It happens uh, that uh, if uh, a producer has a different uh, parcel of land, they say, ah, okay, in this great exposition, I put Nebbiolo on the other side, uh, in the west, uh, maybe the Barbera and the East Dolcetto, uh, or uh, if you were in the Lange of, uh, of the Moscato, you put in the best uh, area, the, the Moscato. And if you have some still some portion of a hill uh, maybe at the bottom somewhere not uh, properly made for so yeah i put phrase that uh, it uh, doesn't uh, i have no problem because uh, it's strong but the phrase absolutely need good exposition and it needs uh, time to ripe properly especially the tannins 
in fact most of the people start to make it sparkling or you know like uh, just uh, with almost uh, no skin contact because uh, they needed uh, more fresh more fresh and uh, don't have uh, too much tannins what i'm doing now is uh, since uh, the connection between the fraser and the biolo it's very very uh, close uh, i want to show fraser like it is uh, with uh, the nebbiolo so in a normal red vinification to do that we approach to the vineyard in a meticulous way doing a no, good uh, thinning out uh, to concentrate to have a ba good balance in, uh, in on the vines and uh, vinify it uh, still and dry we have a stainless steel also barrel aging but uh, i vinify the fraser even uh, uh, after the the nebbiolo for barolo because the problem is to find uh, the good balance between the body and the tannins. I work uh, almost for one year in, uh, in in Oregon, working with a facility, a winery, and I work with Pinot Noir. So that changed a bit, uh, no, my my vision, and uh, I understood that uh, definitely we need to work uh, in a more gentle way. So we need to extract, but uh, we don't need to over extract. We need. Uh, to make a very longevity wine, but uh, longevity wine does not uh, mean that uh, have not to be approachable in the first five, uh, six years. And I really hope that especially the Fraser can be back uh, at the top of uh, the wines uh, because uh, the potentiality of uh, these grapes are still very unknown, but uh, I'm very confident uh, that you can enjoy a lot of this wine when it's young, but especially with uh, the aging. So you mentioned the 2000 vintage and what that taught you. What are some of the other vintages that have really been learning moments or standout vintages for you in your own career? 2002 was uh, a vintage uh, that I learned uh, that you can <laughs> you can work even with a very bad uh, grapes. So it's uh, always important. You know, when uh, you read on the book or someone else... Uh, tell to you uh, but when uh, you are in front of uh, grapes uh, that uh, like, like uh, you had in the 2002 say okay i need also not to approach uh, the vinification uh, in, a, in a in another way uh, 2003 was the moment in which i said okay maybe the technology of the, the east uh, it's important uh, and uh, and it was very important uh, to change my mind, uh, like I said, uh, in the uh, vine growing. To say, mm, no, it's not anymore the time to say, okay, concentration, concentration, concentration. no. Um, the 2012, because uh, I started working with new grapes uh, that uh, I didn't know. So the Fraser that uh, now I you know after those... Uh, three vintages i'm still learning but uh, i have uh, more knowledge and definitely i can say also 2015 because for me is the best vintage that i ever made and why is it i mean what was it about 15 that's 15 uh, it, first of all was a great vintage for all uh, different grapes in piemont so from moscato so the early picking uh, grapes uh, to the biola and fraser so the the latest one and that's because uh, Everybody was very afraid uh, about uh, another very hot season because actually we had a portion of summer with 
the highest temperature ever in, in Piedmont. But actually, we, those period was only three weeks. But those three weeks uh, allowed to speed the, the ripening, to have a very good uh, speed uh, in the ripening. And uh, at the early season, when uh, because it was in July. But after uh, already in the beginning of August, we have an anticyclone bringing fresh air from the north. And uh, those uh, allowed uh, to maintain the acidity, the color, and a lot of uh, flavors. In September, like it was uh, also in uh, 2014, but the 2014, before, instead of the hot and sun, we had the rain. But the September was magic because uh, it was a September with uh, a clean, tidy days, uh, with uh, the perfect light, uh, without uh, humidity, that allowed uh, really another perfect process of ripening. Mario Andrian entered the wine business at a young age, but his favorite vintage was the last one. <laughs> Thank you very much for being here today. Thank you very much, Alevi. Mario Andrian of Castello di Verduno in Barolo and also Barbaresco, and then Quattro Nove Nove. All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Levy Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tanoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap are available for sale if you check the show website, alldrinktothatpod.com. That's I-L-L, drinktothatpod.com, which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating. You can donate from anywhere using PayPal or Stripe on the show website. Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. That's super important to see every episode. And thank you for listening. This episode was made possible by Vinitaly, the world's largest wine fair, held each year in Verona, Italy.